Welcome to the Emerited Podcast, the landowner podcast to empower you with inspiration, new perspectives, and quick tips for your forest management and land ownership journey. We're going to be talking about fire today. Well, probably for the rest of the month, if I'm honest, but particularly today. And when it comes down to it, when you think about the two best management tools you can use on your land, it really does boil down to logging and fire. And we know I'm constantly talking about cutting your timber, how to cut your timber, when to consider cutting your timber, and things to know before cutting your timber. I even have a free audio resource for you to better understand how timber gets sold so you can remove all those what-if questions that tend to creep in when we do something we've never done before. So go check that out if you're considering doing a timber sale soon at www.landandladies.com. But today... Today, to celebrate the start of October, what really is kind of the official autumn month in my mind, I'm going to be talking about fire. The question you may be asking yourself is, should I use fire on my land? In fact, that's exactly what this episode is titled. And my knee-jerk reaction is going to be yes! But we need to take a step back for a moment because if I'm being 100% honest with you, as I always strive to be, the answer is more like, well, it depends. What does it depend on is probably your next thought. And I'm glad you asked. It's going to depend on four things. Your timber type, your location, your objectives. Of course, I think you should have known that one was going to be in the mix here. And your comfortability with fire as a whole. So let's go through a quick breakdown of each of these items. To begin with, your timber type. This is pretty much a loaded question, but here are some of the question and answer scenarios that I would go through as a stereotypical whole without actually putting eyes on your tract, all right? How old is the timber you're trying to burn? Age does matter here as older stands are a lot easier to burn as a whole than younger stands. Is it a newly planted log wally or slash stand that hasn't even been thinned yet? I don't even need to see your stand to be able to say your answer is no, at least say not yet. Because if you try to burn lawbolly or slash pine before it's first thinning, I can guarantee you, you will kill 90% of your stand. Okay, maybe not 90%, but I can guarantee you won't have a viable stand at the end of the fire going through it, at the very least. Now, if you have a longleaf pine stand that you've planted, then my answer is going to be a yes. At least a very likely that you should. Longleaf, unlike its counterpart pines, thrives in fire. And in fact, refusal to use fire and removing it from the landscape completely is actually dampering its potential. But let's say you have an upland hardwood stand. My answer is going to be probably, but you need to do so carefully because hardwoods are naturally a little bit more susceptible to damage from fire. But I still believe it's a very powerful tool in that environment when used well. And if you have bottomland hardwoods, my answer is probably going to be it's probably not really worth it. Now don't get me wrong, bottlelands can definitely benefit from fire, but many times due to its highly hydric nature, it can be quite difficult to try to intentionally pass fire across the landscape. And there can be an increased risk of smoldering in the peat on the ground layers that is kind of dependent you know, on the thickness of the peat layer on how long it might smoke, uh, smolder or smoke, but does tend to be an increased risk in these timber type stands. So to recap, using fire is dependent on your timber type. If you have at least thin once more mature pine stands, my answer leans to yes. If you have young unthinned stands, my answer will be only if it's longleaf. But if you've thinned it, then you should consider adding it to your management plan rotations no matter what. If you have hardwoods, uplands, 
probably do so carefully and wisely under the recommendations of an experienced burn professional. And if you have bottom ones, well, it's in my opinion, probably just not worth the stress and effort for the average landowner due again to its highly hydric wet nature. So what's next? Your location. When I talk about location, I'm talking about your local location details, like, you know, within a one to five mile radius. First, I want to know are what are your literal neighbors to the land you plan to burn? Is it surrounded by other forest lands or ag fields? Then burning at a first glance isn't going to be a problem. But if you're bordered by a major highway or interstate, well, that can definitely complicate the opportunities a lot more. Now, I said locality within a one to five mile radius. So what is within two to five miles of your land or the stand you're considering burning? Are there daycares, nursing homes, hospitals, airports, or schools? And this is not an all-inclusive list of considerations, but what are called sensitive sites? These things matter not because of the fire itself, but because of the potential smoke associated with your fire. The amount and intensity of smoke will be highly dependent on the stand that you're burning. What type of timber is it? Which we literally just went over. But also, what is the fuel litter load? AKA, how much stuff is there to actually burn? And how big of a stand are you trying to burn at once? You know, what is the acreage size? But that's not all the considerations when it comes to smoke. In fact, it's probably only a smaller considerations. What really matters are the weather conditions on the day of the burn. Not all sunny days are ideal for burning, despite what we may be thinking when we walk onto the front porch. There are several weather factors which can greatly impact smoke lingering and fire escaping risk, many of which we may not be able to tangibly feel when we walk outside. All that being said, if you have what's considered sensitive sites and attractions near your stand, you know, within that two to five mile radius that we just discussed, that doesn't mean you can't burn. It just means you have a much smaller day selection to pick from to be able to burn more safely to avoid smoke problems. Smoke is actually probably the number one reason why most people don't or are hesitant to burn in general. And honestly, I don't blame you, but these don't mean that you can't burn. It just means you have to be a little bit more selective on when and how you go about your burning. Next factor, your objectives. If you didn't know already, everything comes down to your goals and objectives for the land. Now I can almost always configure fire as a great tool for you to consider and utilize no matter what your objectives are going to be. Because fire is an amazing tool to enhance the quality of the overall forest, which all in all helps all the different objectives we strive for. Is your priority timber income? Cool. Fire will create healthier ecosystems, which grow healthier trees, which typically yield higher products and thus increasing your timber profit, you know, generally. Wildlife objectives, fire greatly enhances the understory environment, improving specifically the forage availability and increases the diversity of understory herbaceous plants, which means there's more food for more different, different types of animals out there, which means you're gonna see an increase of diversity of wildlife. Bingo, hitting the market. Maybe you're a reckon aesthetic goals priority type of person. Fire promotes a healthier ecosystem, if I haven't said that already which tends to be more aesthetically pleasing to the eye for most people. It reduces the thickets and shrubs from becoming impenetrable and improves the quality and diversity of wildlife, which again, most people find aesthetically pleasing and is going to increase their recreational enjoyment options. 
So even though I can usually always spin fire to fit your objectives no matter what the answer is, I think it is important to frame the answer of how fire will help you reach those goals. Because understanding the purpose of the practice increases your likelihood of actually doing it and your confidence that this is the right investment for you to do. Now, this last thing, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Your comfortability with fire. Why do I say this is a double-edged sword? Well, because if you've never used fire on the land, you're naturally going to be uncomfortable with it. It can be scary and the unknown is always intimidating and stretches our comfort. But when it comes down to you, this is what I'm looking for. If you are absolutely never, ever, ever, not in a million years going to be comfortable with intentionally putting fire on your land, then it doesn't really matter what I or any other professional thinks. You've already made up your mind. But if I may, I'd like to share another perspective to what fire is and can do, which might change your mindset, or at the very least, open your eyes to the positive impact fire can have. Because again, I get it, fire is intense, it's uncontrollable, and it leaves a somewhat devastating immediate look. Kinda like another management tool I talk about often. But what if I said fire is biblically good? Stay with me here now, because I recognize fire, like many other aspects, can be used for harm too. But let's look through a different lens. How often is fire used in scripture, and to what degree is it used? Okay, I can't actually answer that question, but what I specifically have in mind are the renewing aspects fire is. Fire is used to refine something or someone, and it's actually such an admirable element that God himself has chosen to use fire as a medium to show himself through and talk through. Let me share. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does this bush not burn up? And honestly, that would probably be my same thought, but I can't promise I would have gone over to see the same sight. Let me get back to the scripture. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Again, probably not going to be my first answer when I hear a voice coming from a bush, but you know, I definitely admire Moses here for just answering a simple, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And you can read this for yourself in Exodus 3 verses two through six, because after this point, God goes into giving the, the mission to Moses to set his people free. But it is here, the strange sight. There was fire on the side of the mountain on a bush that did not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, he being Moses, God called to him from within the bush. God used fire to capture Moses' attention and then spoke to him through the fire. Now, this is just my personal self-reflection and opinion, but if God recognizes the usefulness and brilliance of fire as an element to reflect himself, then perhaps it's a tool I myself should also take a lot of reference for. If fire is worthy enough of an element to represent God himself again and God's power, then it surely is more than worthy of enough of a tool for me to consider as a part of my stewardship methods. When I look at my management decisions, my stewardship efforts as a service to God, 
then why would I not consider using fire as a part of this plan? Now, I know fire is also used in a variety of other places in a not so admirable opportunity, but there are a lot of opportunities or elements God could have chosen to come to Moses as. And I find it uniquely important that fire was used and just brings a symbolism to me that although fire can be used for destruction, it just as much can be a symbol of holiness. Now, let me preface all of this and say, I do not think you should go out there willy-nilly adding fire to your land yourself, especially if you have never ever explored prescribed fire methods before. So please use your local wildland firefighting and forestry professionals to assist you in this process. But just because you've never done fire before on your landscape, just because you're nervous about adding fire, if you find it a worthy tool to exercise on the land, then you should definitely go through those growing pains to stretch your comfortability. Because the more you utilize fire on the land, the easier it will be to one, execute the burn, and two, be willing to add fire to the land again. But back to our original question, should you add fire to your plants? Should you add fire on your land? Well, let's recap over the answer considerations I went over. Is your timber type suitable to hold fire now or in the future? Do you have any restraints based on the location of your stand? Do your objectives support having fire as part of the plan to help you reach those goals? The answer is yes for that one. You just got to figure out how, okay? And lastly, are you comfortable with using fire on the landscape? If you answered yes and are ready to explore utilizing fire on the land to integrate it as a part of your management regime, you may be asking, where do I start? And I highly recommend starting with your local county foresters and rangers. Now, depending on your state, your rangers may be referred to as county wildland firefighters or a different title, but essentially it is your local wildland firefighting resources that tend to be associated with your forestry state agency. These are the resources can not only provide you guidance on when and how to start adding fire to your land, they can also provide specific resources for you to explore to potentially become a certified prescribed burn manager to give you hands-on experience and knowledge, which of course would increase your confidence and comfortability around this practice. But usually they can provide the hands-on assistance to get fire on your land through fire break establishment and hands-on burning assistance and monitoring. There may be a wait list, but having professionals who understand the dynamics of your land, weather, and how to move fire across the landscape can do wonders in increasing your comfortability with this practice, especially if you're just getting started exploring this management tool. And that's it. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I highly would appreciate if you share this with your friends, families, post it on social media, and give us a tag at Land and Ladies. Until next time.